Mark Drake is on a mission to train leaders around the world about the miracle and mystery of Christ living his life in and through all who will believe. Join us on this journey into the heart of the real new covenant and the transforming power of true grace. You know, we're, we're living in, 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 a, in an amazing day. I'm, I'm 63 uh, this summer, and, uh, and I, I look back over my life and, and realize that uh, it's only been in the last 15 or 20 years that I've actually appreciated history. And I'm a high school dropout, little hippie kid who got saved, you know, the story in a rock band. You've heard those stories before. But today, in, in this moment, we need to understand history. We need to understand, and I'm not talking about, you know, we're closer now to the coming of the Lord than ever before because every day you've ever lived, you are one day closer, whenever He's coming. That, that, that's, that, I'm not talking about the end of days, whenever that may be, but I, I'm talking about what is happening with the kingdom of God. The last three weeks, Josh has been sharing about the triumphant kingdom of God, the unshakable kingdom of God, and that what Jesus began over 2,000 years ago is continuing to grow and increase and the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that of the increase of his government and kingdom, there shall be no end. That has always occurred, the, the, the growth and the expansion of the kingdom has always occurred historically during times of intense persecution. If you've been watching the news just the last few days, you know that in places like Egypt, church buildings are being burned to the ground, Christians are being slaughtered, by the tens of thousands, and there, there's an all-out war going on in some parts of the world, parts of the world where we go and train leaders, and parts of the world where they're using our materials, uh, and some of those parts of the world where right now I cannot travel uh, because of the risks that are involved, especially if you have an American passport. Now, that all sounds terrible, but the reality is that from the first uh, of the book of Acts, Till this very day and until Christ does return and establish his kingdom and paradise lost is then paradise fully restored. Until that time, the kingdom of God always advances in the midst of adversity. The kingdom of God always advances in the midst of persecution. The more the enemy tries to stamp out his church, the more his church grows. It's always been that way. And it will continue to be that way. And Josh has been sharing on that the last couple of weeks. And we're going to be sharing more uh, about that in the coming days. But we're, we're, we're living in a time where our hope must be unshakable in God. The scripture declares that he who puts his hope in the Lord shall never be disappointed. If our hope is in the Lord. Now, part of the dilemma that we have is that we end up putting our hope in what we hope the Lord is going to do rather than putting our hope in the Lord. To put my hope in the Lord means that I give him the right to do whatever he wants to do, when, where, how he wants to do it. And uh, so because of that, uh, what we want to talk about today together is something that the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, speaks uh, many, 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 many times. In fact, some experts have said that Jesus himself spoke more on this subject, this single subject, than any other single subject, and that is money. We've already heard a testimony, a tremendous testimony, and those of you that have been around here for many years have watched the Byer family, and you know the faithfulness, their generosity, their giving hearts, their giving of their lives, and now you've just heard just a tiny bit of John's story of how God over the years has been faithful to cause him to reap a harvest off of the seed that he sows. But the reason those kind of things happen is because John has put seed in the ground of God's kingdom. When you have seed in the ground of God's kingdom, then you can expect for the Lord to give you a harvest. Now, he'll choose when, where, and how. But what we must be firmly rooted in is the understanding that money plays a critical role in the economy of God. Give me that first slide. For you and I to understand money 
And to understand why God feels so strongly about money, we must understand what money really is. We have to understand, whether we're talking about uh, money in the form of currency, our greenbacks, a currency, or whether we're talking in the early days of the Old Testament where money was represented by chickens and cows and, and uh, well, I was going to say pigs, but not for Israel, uh, but, uh, but for the Philistines, and I guess I'm a Philistine, but because uh, I, I love bacon. Uh, <laughs> praise God for grace and the law is over. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. You know, BL, BLTs are great. LTs, not so good. BLTs, good. <laughs> But for you and I to understand, and, and just to hear this testimony, and this was not planned, but this was a perfect moment today for John to share that. I didn't know he was going to share that. He didn't know what I was going to share on. But for us to understand what the new covenant is all about, we have to understand the issue of trust. The new covenant is all about trust. In fact, Paul makes it very clear that from the Garden of Eden on down, God's relationship with human beings has always been about trust. Can we as a human being, can I as a human being, trust that A, God knows best, B, God loves me and will always work things out for my best? Developing that trust is a lifelong journey, and we frequently take two steps forward and two and a half steps back. That frequently happens in our lives, and it happened to, to leaders in the New Testament. But this life in the new covenant is all about developing and growing trust from the Garden of Eden where God said, look, I've given you all of this good stuff, but trust me on this. Don't eat from that one tree. And Adam and Eve could not or chose not to trust that God knew best. To Noah, hearing God say, I'm going to give you 120 years to build an ark, and then this is all going to be washed away. And for Noah to act out of trust in God's word. To Abraham offering up his only son. The son of promise. The gift that God gave him. As, as, as Abraham said, God, the most important thing in my life beside you is that I don't have an heir. So God gave him a son. And then God said, now, will you trust me enough to give that son back to me? All the way through to the New Testament where everything we believe about Jesus is based on the issue of trust. Our very salvation is based on the issue of whether we trust God or not. Whether God is trustworthy. And this always is the issue for us. But God, by His choosing, has created human beings in such a way so that possessions... And that which represents our possessions, i.e. money in, in today's economy, has always played an intricate role in God developing trust in our lives. Do we trust Him, not only with our eternal salvation, but do we trust Him for our daily needs? When Jesus taught His men how to pray, He said, this is the way you pray. Give us this day our daily bread. That was it, the simplicity of how Jesus taught his men to pray because he was already teaching them to trust. In fact, before he taught them how to pray, he said, before you pray, know this, your father knows what you need even before you ask. Now, he wants you to ask because he wants you to develop trust. This life is all about trust. It is all about trust. And, and for us to understand that, we have to understand the important place that money or whatever that money may represent by way of possessions, the important role that that plays in our walk with God, in our growing in grace for us to trust. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles or in your Bible app on your smartphone to Mark chapter 12. And I'm going to read a story here, a story that you're familiar with, but it's a story that is designed by Jesus to help us understand how God views money and what, in fact, money actually is. And until we understand what money really is, we cannot grow in a critical area of trusting God. When Jesus said, when you look at the field and you see the, 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 the sparrows in the field, they don't worry about what's coming in the future because their Father provides, and you are more valuable than they are. 
and that our trust depends on understanding God's economy. And to do that, we have to understand how God views money and what money means. And we are not going to be taking an offering when I get done. <laughs> I'm going to begin reading in verse 38, Mark 12, 38. And as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. And they like to have the most important seats in the synagogues and the most important places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Next verse, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. And he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. Now, for Jesus to say to his disciples, that woman who gave a fraction of a penny gave more than what all the wealthy people put in makes no sense whatsoever unless we understand what money really is. Because God has built into the human existence this economy issue that when you give of yourself, your time, your abilities, your skills, your talents, everything you've gained through your education and every good thing that you've gained through your life experience and you give that in a work setting, what do you get in return for that? money. You give yourself. You give your time. You give your intelligence, your, your wisdom, your skill, whatever it is that you bring a value to that job of yourself. Most importantly, your time. Time which you will never get back again. And what you get in exchange for everything that you give is money. So when you come to church or you go to someone that you know is hurting and in need and you take some of that money and you give it to them as unto the Lord, what you've really given is a portion of yourself because that money represents how much of you it took to make and get in, in exchange that money. So when you're putting that money in, you're doing that. You're giving a part of yourself. Now let me show you something that I'm talking about. Could you come up here for a minute, just, just for a minute? And, uh, and you right there. Great, thanks. Come on up here. Real quick, what's your first name? Isaac. All right, I've just hired Isaac to do a job in my company. Your name? Darby. Darby, stand right here if you would, please. I've just hired Isaac and Darby, and I hired Isaac to do one job and I have said to Isaac that I'm going to pay him, I'm going to pay him $20 an hour for the work that he's going to do in my company. Then Sunday morning comes, and he goes to service, and uh, he goes to the giving station in the back, and he puts in that $20. <laughs> now, how much of himself did he just give? No, no, how much of himself did he just give? One hour. One hour. He actually gave more than that because the hour that he used on his job is also based on how much education he's gotten, how much life experience, how long it took him to develop the skills for which I hired him. So it actually is more than an hour, but for convenience sake, we'll say he just gave an hour of himself because this is what he got in exchange for the, his time that he will never get back again. Now, I hired Dar Darby to do a different job, and because it is much more difficult than the job that I hired Isaac to do, I pay her $40 an hour. 
And she comes to the same service and she gives <laughs> willingly, <laughs> cheerfully, with a smile. There you go. Now, how much did she give of herself? One hour. Now, he gave 20. She gave 40. Who gave more? Nobody. Nobody. They gave the same amount. But what if she comes to the meeting, she sees that he gives $20, so she gives $20. How much of herself is she given now? Half hour. So even though they both gave numerically the same amount of money, he gave twice as much as she did. Because money is me. It's you. It represents the amount of your life that you are giving, that you'll never get back again. So when you give it, you're giving yourself. Now, this is why Jesus could sit and watch wealthy people give lots and still have lots left over, and a poor little widow give a teeny tiny bit and have nothing left over and say she gave more. Because Jesus was trying to teach those men that in God's economy, money, material possessions represent the parts of our life that we gave. So we're giving ourselves. Thank you very much. And thanks for the offering. I appreciate it very much. Now, for us to understand how, how, how we do this, we have to appreciate that, that when we give, wherever we give, however we give, that we don't do it indiscriminately, that we don't do it out of manipulation, that we don't do it out of guilt, that we don't do it motivated out of any other motive other than wanting to be obedient to God. But we have to understand that the issue of money and what we give is an issue of developing trust because... As we heard from John's testimony, our walk in God is frequently measured by the areas in which we grow our trust. And there is no single area more important for us because it influences literally every other area of our life than the issue of money. Go to slide three, if you would, please. We're going to skip over to slide three, please. We have to understand that money is a measure of what we value, and if you want to know what you truly value, all you have to do is look at your date book and your bank account. Because your date book shows how you spend your time. And no matter what I say with my mouth, no matter what I say I value, all you have to do is look in the way I spend my time and in the way I spend my money. And you will know what I truly value. Not what I say I value, but what I truly value. Because there are two things that fit together in the human economy, and that's our time and the money that we get in exchange for it. And again, Jesus was teaching. Jesus was teaching, and in one lengthy message, he taught about serving others. He taught about how to pray, he taught about how to look at nature and develop a faith history in God, that God would be faithful to us. And then he ended it up by saying this in Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We know what we value. We know what we treasure by what we put our time and our money in. So it's critical for us to understand this. Now, Go to uh, slide four, if you would, please. We've talked before when, when, we, when, when I've been here sharing about learning how to read the Old Testament and the importance of seeing the Old Testament as they saw it uh, in, in, in the days of the New Testament being written. When we read the Old Testament, we must do it with this understanding. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. These things are all part of the Jewish law from which Paul is speaking. Things which are a mere shadow. Now, that, if you're taking notes, that word shadow is very important. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. 
Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement or the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. There's some real important issues there for us charismatics today in the statements that Paul makes there about being inflated by what we think we've seen in a visionary sense. Angels and all that, which are all very real, but there's a great danger of being inflated about those things. But Paul uses these two words when he talks about the, 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 the law and the commandments of, of, the, of the Old Testament. And he says, those things were shadows. The substance of those shadows for us, we now find fulfilled in Christ. So when we read the Old Testament, it's critical that we understand that the things that happened in the Old Testament were real to them. But for us, we must look for the shadow that represents Christ in those things of the Old Testament. Go to the next slide because this is referenced in several places. Here's another. And when, when uh, in the writer of Hebrews is talking about the Old Testament ta uh, tabernacle and the temple, they serve at a sanctuary, those priests in the, in the literal uh, tabernacle, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. And then in Hebrews 10 it says, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. What's the reality itself? Christ. So when we read the Old Testament, we read it as historical documents for us to understand how God dealt with His people. And we look into the things that really happened to them. But then we look for the shadow. And as we see the shadow, we find the fulfillment in Christ. Now when we talk about giving, my goodness folks, if you've ever read much of the book of Leviticus at all, you know that Verse upon verse upon verse in the book of Leviticus, the giving of the law, refers to money, refers to sacrifices and offerings. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of sacrifices that the people were commanded to give. Every festival, every feast involved a different sacrifice. They had, they had of course, the, the annual day of atonement, the sacrificial lamb. The shadow of that's obvious in Christ. But they had, they had the, the offering of the first fruits. And we'll come back to that in a minute because it's a, a very important shadow for us. But it has a real substance for us in what Christ wants to do in growing our trust and our life in Him. They had what they called wave offerings. Where the people would go out uh, in the wheat fields, in the barley fields, uh, when the, when just before they were ready to harvest the heads off of these plants. And they would take bundles uh, of, of wheat or barley, and they would stand out in the field, and they would wave it before the Lord and give Him praise. Because they recognized that He was the God over all nature. And that He was the God that caused that harvest to grow. And so they would stand out in the field, and they would wave it back and forth. So the book of Hebrews says, let us offer the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips and lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting. That we give a wave offering before the Lord. They had what was called heave offerings. I love this. They go out and they would harvest the heads off of the, off of the wheat and barley stalks and put them in a basket. And then the family would gather together and they would say before the Lord, Lord, we thank you for providing for us. And then together the family, kids and all, would heave this basket up in the air. And apparently God just grabbed whatever he wanted. But they just threw it up in the air. And of course, then it just all fell back down. You say, well, what's the purpose of that? The purpose of that is God was trying to develop in them a trust. A trust. Now here's why. Because those people were living in an agrarian society. They were living in a society that revolved around agriculture. Here's the problem. I don't know next harvest season whether there's going to be enough rain. If there's not enough rain, I don't get crops. If there's too much rain, I don't give crops. If there's not enough sunlight, I don't get crops. If there's too much sun, I don't get crops. If there are insects or disease, and I'm not in charge of any of those things. I can't control any of those things. So those people were learning each step of the way 
that with their substance, with their material possessions, they were looking to the God of nature, the God who controlled the rain, the God who controlled the sun, the God who controlled all of that. And they were trusting Him. And then they had what was called the offering of the first fruits. Paul refers to this, that in the resurrection, Christ is the first fruit, and we are first fruits of all who will be resurrected again because of faith in Christ. But the offering of the first fruit was this, that the very first portion of the crops that came in in the early spring, the people gathered together the best of what they had, and they gave it unto the Lord. Now, the reason this offering of the first fruits is so important is because they were giving away a bird in the hand. They were giving away what they already were guaranteed to have. This has already grown to fruition. This is our food for now and our seed for next year. And so God says, I want you to give that away. Now, the human heart responds and says, wait a minute. This is a guaranteed provision. I don't know what's going to happen next week. Next week, the insects may come and eat up all the remaining plants. And then I won't have, if I give away this first fruit, things may go bad over the next few weeks, and I may not get any more crop. There may not be any more harvest. And then God's response was, do you trust me? Do you trust me? The only way to grow trust is to give away the bird in the hand. Brother Dick is getting this, and I appreciate that. I'm waiting for the rest of you. The issue of trust. Can I give away what I already have the assurance of, what I already have the guarantee of, and trust God to take care of that which I have no control over. I don't control the rain. I don't control the disease or the infestations of insects. God controls those things. So can I give away what's, what I have now guaranteed and trust that he's going to meet me? You see, Jesus' problem with the wealthy people who came was that they gave a lot more, literally, than the woman gave, but they knew they had a whole lot more left over, so they weren't taking any risk. There was no risk there. But this poor lady, whatever had God had been doing in her heart, was taking a tremendous risk. A tremendous risk. But this is what God is inviting us all into. It's the greatest human adventure you and I will ever understand. And that's the adventure of growing our trust in an unseen God who has given us the promise of His Word. This is the coolest adventure there is. Lynn and I have been in this adventure together for 42, 43 years now of, of watching God provide, of giving away the sure thing, trusting that God will be true to His Word. And there are times where we have given away the sure thing and then waited and waited and waited. You see, that's the definition of a trial. Something goes wrong, you pray, and it gets worse. But these early New Testament believers had an incredible view of those kind of trials. So James could write, my brothers, consider it all joy when you go through various kinds of trials. Why? How can you consider that a joyful experience to be doing without and not knowing how you're going to get what you need to get? How can that be a joyful experience? Because God is inviting us in to this amazing adventure. And the new covenant is all about the adventure of growing in trust. And so we look in the Old Testament at the offerings. You know, a lot of the offerings that the people brought, the Levites took the offering, put it on the altar, and burned it up. Now, what good is that? I'm, I, 
I mean, they literally burned it up, and then they just scooped up the ashes after the celebration was over. And threw it. How can, what, why would God want you to burn up something that you could eat, that, that could do other people good? Because he was inviting them into this experience of growing trust. Because he's trying to teach his children that we never give away. We sow. We never give away. We sow. Do you see the difference? We never give away. If you give unto the Lord, no matter where you put it, no matter what they do with it. How many are old enough to remember the PTL debacle from some years ago? It was a huge embarrassment. It was a black eye on the body of Christ. And there were a lot of people that got mad. Because they gave money to a Christian organization that used it for other things that they shouldn't have used it for. But you know, the bottom line is, if they gave unto the Lord, then there's fruit to their account no matter what Jim Baker did with that money. No matter what PTL did with it. Because if they were giving unto the Lord, then they were never giving away. They were sowing into the kingdom of God. See, God is enticing us into a life of investment. Look, the greatest investment we are making is our hope of eternal life. That's the greatest investment we're making. The greatest area of trust that we have is that we're putting our hope in, 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 the, in, the, in it, what we hope to be true, that God is, is telling us the truth when He says that all sin was paid for once and for all by the offering and the sacrifice of His Son. But in our everyday lives, God draws us in to this issue of offering, of giving, of sowing, of investing. And so we develop this attitude that we're sowing unto the Lord. You know what? If, if we will learn to open our heart and ask God to empower us to be more generous than we've ever been before, we will find ourselves being the answer to other people's prayers. Whoever gave that money that went to the Bayer family provided a miracle. They were the, they were the source of a miracle. They, they were the channel through whom a miracle came. Because John and his family has frequently been the source of blessing and answered prayers for other people. I Look, I, I, I have driven a friend's BMW. I know how that must have felt, John. <laughs> To have to give that one away. I mean, that's, you know, that's where you want the, the, the fleece to be wet one day and dry the next, and then we try it again. And, and how about the right hand warm up and the left hand cool? God, please, you know, is, it, is there any other way? Let this cup pass from me, but let me keep the car keys. Oh, Jesus. See, John was the answer to somebody's prayer because of obedience. You and I can be the answers to people's prayer. We can, we can be involved in a miracle for somebody else. And as we grow as a body of believers here, you're sowing and you're investing in the local family can be the answer of the cry of people who are just coming to know Jesus and desperately need to be discipled and mentored and pastored into the new covenant and come into a life of grace. Your volunteering of your time to help take care of people's children. When you're taking care of people's children, you allow them to come in here and be fed the Word of God so they can grow and they can turn around and serve and help mentor and disciple somebody else. You, you're, you're the answer by your giving, both of your time and your treasure, by your giving. But what God entices us into is giving away that which we really need for the future. Why would God want us to do that? Because that's really the only way that we can develop trust in the Lord. Go to slide six, please. Six. You know, you and I face trials and tribulations, whether it's family crises, whether it's uh, physical issues, whether it's relationships that break down. And most of those things that we face, that we ask God to help us with, 
are things over which we have no control. If we had control over them, we would have kept them from going bad and we wouldn't have had to face that dilemma. But in the area of our money and the giving of our money, this is the one area where we actually have the control over how much our trust will grow. We control this. We control it by whether we choose to be conservative or liberal. And this is one place where I beseech you as a follower of Christ to be a liberal. <laughs> See, most trials you and I don't have any control over. Bad things happen in our life, and then we pray and ask God to help us. But this one area, you and I actually have the control over how much. See, this is what the first fruit offering was all about. They could control how much trust they grew. If they kept the first fruits because they didn't know if there were going to be any more fruits, their trust would not grow. If they chose to let their heart move them and give it away, then they were deliberately controlling the areas of trust that are growing in their lives. Does that make sense to you? And in the new covenant, God does not order us to give and follow it up with a curse. Malachi 3, you are cursed with a curse because you've robbed God, does not apply in the new covenant. Jesus has taken the curse upon himself. In the new covenant, God says, will you allow me to move your heart? Will you willingly step into an area of need by giving away what you could keep and use for yourself? But God gives you the choice. He gives me the choice. Go to, to slide 7 and look at what is said here in 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this. Whoever, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, now think about that. This is the Holy Spirit inspiring the Apostle Paul to, to write divine words from God. So God says to us, you're in control of this. I'm giving you the control here. If you give just a little bit so you don't ever have to run any risk, then that's what you get back. But if you're willing to enter into a greater amount of risk with me, then my promise to you is that I will cause this to be a farming metaphor. I will cause this not to be giving away, but I will cause this to be sowing and reaping. Now, I'm going to put it up to you to decide how much do you want to grow in this. If you want to grow, then give more generously. Sow more largely. If you want to grow, give away more. How much do you want to grow? I find that amazing that in the new covenant, God invites us. He invites us into a relationship. Now, you know, you know what happened? You know, we, we, as we travel around the world, lots of places that we go, prosperity to people is having enough food to feed their children for the rest of the week. When we go to places like Cambodia, Vietnam, Thailand, most of those people live on less than two U.S. dollars a day, and that's what they support their family on. So for them, prosperity is three dollars a day. But in Western culture, especially America, we have a mindset in the church of Jesus that what we get is ours, and then we pay God a tip of 10%. But what Jesus taught is that God owns it all, and he puts some of it under your management. He puts some of it under your stewardship. To some, he puts more to manage. 
To some, he puts less to manage. But the issue is how we manage what he puts into our hands. And he gives us this choice. So Paul says, remember this. He who sows sparingly will also reap. He who sows generously. And then he says this. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. A friend of mine likes to say God loves a cheerful giver. But he will receive from a grouch. But the grouch doesn't get a harvest back. God will take their money. You see, look, throughout Old and New Testament, offerings do God no good whatsoever. When they brought the fatted calf and sacrificed it, God didn't eat it. He doesn't eat. He's a spirit. He doesn't need food. Paul said in the book of Acts on Mars Hill, he's not served by earthly hands. He has no needs. So why would God dozens and dozens and dozens of times in the Old Testament, which are shadows for us, metaphors for us, why would he tell them over and over and over again, sacrifice, 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 sacrifice? Because they needed it. Not because he needed it, but because they needed it. Because when we give, God doesn't get richer. But we do first in heart. We get richer in heart because we're growing a generous heart. Yeah, that would would be a good point. You can grow your heart to be more generous. I mean, the Word of God simply says it. Decide in your own heart. Are you going to be conservative, careful, and take little risk? Or are you going to be generous and liberal and take a bigger risk that God is faithful to the word of promise that he who sows generously shall also reap generously? Say, yeah, but if I give away a lot, I'm not sure how I'm going to take care of next month. Neither am I. That's what trust is all about. There is no trust where there is no risk. But we can grow our own heart. We can grow the generosity of our own heart. So let each one decide what he's going to give in his own heart. In the days ahead of us, as a spiritual family here, it's going to take more giving for us to accomplish what we know God has laid ahead of us. We want to more fully fulfill the very original vision of the church, which has been fulfilled again and again for many years. We want to be a part of that fulfillment in discipling people, in growing people, in developing the ministry gifts that are in people, and ultimately in church planting. But to do that requires a lot more resources than we have right now. Now, soon, we're going to start rebuilding or building a new auditorium. Now, when we do that, we are not going to get together and read the Old Testament Scripture about Solomon dedicating the temple and call that the temple of God. We're not going to do that because that will not be the temple of God any more than this building right here is the temple of God. The temple of God is setting in these seats right here. The Bible makes it very clear that God's address on the earth is you. It's Christ in you. And the gospel spreads when you and people like you open your mouth and talk about it. Have you ever thought about that? You know, the Bible says that through the, preach, the foolishness of preaching, God has ordained that the power of his gospel will be spread. When we think of preaching, we think of what I'm doing right now. But that's not what Paul was talking about. Paul was talking about through the foolishness of talking about the gospel of Christ's grace. It spreads. When we talk about it, it spreads. So we're not going to be building a temple for God. We're the temple of God. What we're going to be building are resources so that we can have people discipled, so that we can have more people trained, so we can grow more of God's sheep. What we're going to be building is going to help us equip. Think about this. It will help us equip our children 
so that at the very earliest age of comprehension, they won't have to go through a lot of the struggles that you and I have gone through because we got our gospel messed up and so mixed with law and so mixed with a terrifying fear of God that we live so many years under condemnation and many of us are just now coming out of that. We have an opportunity to create resources so that our children don't have to go through that journey. Linda and I have three kids. We had two kids very early and then many years later we had the third one. The amazing difference in the three is that the first two had to go through several years of getting the Holy Spirit to root out of their minds and hearts the issue of fearful law. Our youngest daughter, Amanda, never had that experience. She never knew a God who didn't love her completely. She never knew a God who put qualifications on His love. She grew up from the, from the earliest memories knowing that she was loved unconditionally. So she didn't have the baggage and the journey that the other kids had to go through. She has her own walk of faith, but it's very different than theirs. By you and I contributing to resource this family more and more, we have the opportunity to disciple more and more and more. We have the opportunity to teach our children a gospel that we only in our later years have really begun to learn and get rooted and grounded in our heart. So that our children will grow up never knowing a terrifying God, but always knowing God as their loving Father. That we can bring people to Christ and from day one, they can have materials in their hands and people speaking into their life. But to do that, requires resources. And believe me, if in Paul's day he said, I will use whatever means possible to reach people for Christ. To the Jew, I will become as a Jew. To the Gentile, I will become as a Gentile. I will use whatever means possible. If Paul were alive today, he would use every bit of technology that he could get his hands on. If those people in the first century were alive today, they would use every resource available. God is the creator, and the creativity that's been loosed into the human race is from God. It's not from the devil. Now, the devil can use that technology, but God is the creator of that stuff. He is the creator. He is the one. So all of this technology that's at our disposal, we need to use that, but to use that requires money. But bigger than just requiring money, I need to learn to give more. For me, to grow my heart, you need to learn to give more. For you, to grow your heart. If I won't do it, God will use somebody else, but my heart won't grow. But I have the opportunity to grow my own heart. I mean, that concept blows my mind. It makes me excited. It, I feel God enticing me to step out into a little deeper water of faith. I feel God enticing my heart to take a little more risk. And the only way to do that is to give away more. Because as I give away more, I'm sowing into the things of God. I'm sowing into people's lives. I'm being the answer of somebody's prayer. Because I'm giving. And the bottom line is I'm growing my own heart in greater generosity. You're willing to take more risk. I mean, that's what the Holy Spirit's inviting us are you willing to take more risk? Would you stand with me, please? Now, there are hundreds of stories, thousands of stories in this room right now of times where many of you have stepped out, taken a great risk financially, and then you've seen God come through on your behalf, and you have a faith history. I believe the Holy Spirit is inviting us as a family of God in this place to take more risk so that we can grow our own hearts more generously. If you want a better harvest, it's real simple. You need more seed in the ground. Now, this is not some kind of a telethon scam we got going on here because, because I want to drive a BMW. For our benefit, church. This is for our good. This is for our heart. 
pray. And I just, look, I just can't tell you how strongly I feel this right now. I can't, I cannot find the words to describe to you how strongly I feel this right now. Father, would you help us to simply take you at your word that he who sows generously shall reap generously. Would you help us right now to make a decision in our own heart? Would you move on our hearts, move on our hearts, move on our hearts to make a decision to take greater risk by choosing to give more so that you can grow a greater, more generous heart within each one of us. And that by our sowing, the most important crop will be people coming to Jesus and being discipled in the true new covenant of grace. The true crop will be our children growing up to know you as their loving Father and becoming reproductive disciples. Father, move on our hearts right now. We need you to do this for us because it is a fearful thought to put ourselves out there, to put ourselves at risk. It's a fearful thought. But you have not given us the spirit of fear. Rather, you have given us the ability to think clearly with a sound mind and to make a deliberate choice to be more generous. Empower us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'd like prayer, some of our ministry team leaders will be up here to pray for you. But as you go, I just, I, like I said, I just, I just don't have the words to say this as strongly as I feel it right now in this moment of time, that God is inviting each one of us to take more risk than maybe we've ever taken before and watch what will grow in us and around us for the glory of his kingdom. Join us on this new covenant journey at markdrake.org.